911. What is your emergency? I just found a body. I don't know what to do. Government officials insist that this is an isolated incident. You are listening to Nightcap, a true crime podcast. If the mystery of murder intrigues you, or if you find crime quite a curiosity. Welcome home. Pour yourself a drink, sit back, and buckle up. It's gonna get dark. Be warned, this podcast does contain explicit content and graphic descriptions of real-life accounts and cases. Listener discretion is definitely advised. Hi, guys. We've all got our favorites. Wait. Hmm. I mean, we have cases that interest us the most. You know, the ones that are... That um, really reel you in and tie you up. Weird, 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 weird. Why am I so awkward? That's a hard it's really one to awkward. explain. <laughs> I don't know I've... that. For I don't know the answer to that one. I like that. You should just roll to the. <laughs> I am rolling with it. Perfect. Thanks for saying that. Oh, great. <laughs> I mean, how do you have a favorite serial killer without being like, that's my favorite one? No, it's fucked up. Yeah, we went over this in the last little bit of our last episode with the yeah. creepy ass Facebook group page that I can't find anymore. <laughs> Thanks, FBI. Yeah, FBI man. He got to it. <laughs> Still waiting on that answer, though. Still no answer on the Benadryl yet. I was going to yeah. say it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's kind of weird, I think, to have a favorite serial killer. But um, hi, it's me. I'm weird. And this case is one of my favorites. This case has always fascinated me because the level of torture and just cynical evil that went into this is unfathomable. I don't know how to say words. Um, And there are just a lot of really creepy ass aspects to this case. But before we dig in, who are we? I'm Brittany Brown of the Nightcap podcast. (laughs) I'm Gavin. <laughs> and I'm Drunk Annoying Bitch. Just kidding. <laughs> My name is Susie. <laughs> you guys won't really get that because that's our fucking Riverside FM names, but you know what? We're here. Well, mine is if you know, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But moving on. Oh, and if you, you also know mine, if you've ever listened to this podcast, <laughs> that I am the Drunk Annoying Bitch. <laughs> Susie, oh, what are bloody. you drinking? A lot. Just <laughs> joking. I I loved what I got last week so much that I am back on my blue moon bullshit. Mango wheat. <laughs> why don't you tell them what you originally bought and why you don't like it? Oh my God. I bought, what? I don't even know. It's way over there. It's like Alaskan, uh, like, you know, like Alaskan amber. That's like the typical one, but it's Alaskan like passion fruit. Something, something. I bought it warm and I tried to drink it warm and I about <laughs> threw up a little bit. So warm. Yeah. They were on shelves and not in fridges. And you know what? This is what I get. Government warming. Don't drink Alaskan passion fruit <laughs> ale. Warm. warm. Don't drink it warm. I haven't drank it cold yet. So, you know. And of course, Admiral Nelson. He's like my boyfriend at this point. <laughs> the side chick. He's actually Gavin's boyfriend. I'm just his side chick. <laughs> What are you drinking, Gavin? I am drinking Three Birds Hard Seltzer. Uh, right now, I'm currently on the lime. They have 
cucumber, lime, mango, and raspberry. Ooh, and yummy. they're okay. <laughs> well, Gavin, if they ain't treating you right, then you let that man go. <laughs> <laughs> I am not expecting a check for, you know, promoting this one. That's for sure. <laughs> it's not that good. <laughs> the can is not very fun, but, but I did find out that the can has a plastic wrapper on it. So you can take the plastic wrapper off and then it's just a silver can. And that was fun. Cool, Gabby. That's awesome, buddy. What about you, Brittany? <laughs> what kind of bubbly you got going on over there? This is all my fault. Um, <laughs> oh, no. I am drinking Athletic Brewing Company's Upside Dawn, which is a non-alcoholic golden. I've had it before. It's pretty tasty. It's only 50 calories. Oh, I don't, I mean, like, I don't count calories, but it's really big on the can. So I said it. Good facts. Hold on. Did you say <laughs> oh. on, only 50 calories? Yeah. Escoomy, <laughs> Gavin, how many calories is your? 110. Drink? So that, like, most of them is just alcohols. Then, if non alcoholic beer has 50 and my seltzer has 110, booze is a lot. Of, yeah. <laughs> Like a shot of vodka is like 110 calories. Is it? Yeah. Well, that explains it. Hey, Google. I did Weight Watchers when I was balls deep in my alcoholism. <laughs> I knew how many points those drinks were. 97 calories in a shot of 80 proof vodka. One jigger, 1.5 fluid ounce. Okay, so I was off a little. Just a little. But still. Yeah, but still. So let's get to it. Susie, how about you tell us a little bit about my favorite serial killer, David Parker Ray. All right, you guys, we're jumping in this week doing something a little bit different for you guys. This is Nightcap's very first deep dive. Hella deep. <laughs> this is this is the very first case that we've all jumped on and we have honed in on one case between the three of us and we split it up into sections and we are going to dive balls deep into this case. So that's what we're doing tonight. We're diving on in and we're going to talk about the fucked up everything that is the toy box killer. So I'm jumping in with the early life facts about this horrible man. All right, so David Parker Ray was his name, and he was born on November 6, 1939, in New Mexico. His parents' name were Cecil, Cecil? Cecil. <laughs> Cecil, and Nettie Ray, and he had a younger sister named Peggy. As a child, he lived on a small ranch with his grandparents, who basically raised him and his sister, because his parents divorced when he was 10. And he suffered the bad hand of having an alcoholic, abusive father. His father abused his mother, sister, and him. Hence, the divorce. So, after the divorce, his mother went off and kind of left the picture for drugs and alcohol, from what I gathered. Not much information on that. His father still came around and visited him and his sister. And along with him, he brought David pornographic magazines. Oh, and not just pornographic, sadomasochistic porn to be exact. For those who don't know, sadomasochistic is having sexual gratification for both sadism, 
the tendency to derive pleasure from inflicting pain, suffering, or humiliation on others, and masochism, the enjoyment of what appears to be painful and tiresome. I gotta say, no judgment or hate towards the BDSM community whatsoever, but I just feel like that is not a perfectly normal thing for a father to provide his young son. In no, my opinion. Not at all. No, not a good intro- introduction to um, sex. Or porn or anything like that. He yeah. should have just started him off with like a JCPenney's, you know. <laughs> uh, swimsuit Summertime. Wear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like the rest like- of us. <laughs> all right. David Parker Ray was also bullied mentally and physically at school for being, quote unquote, unusually shy around girls and awkward. With the severe abuse at home and severe abuse at school, as a teenager, he dove into the comfort of drugs, alcohol, and also his major fascination slash obsession of S&M porn only grew. After completing high school, he worked as an auto mechanic and also joined the army where he eventually received an honorable discharge. He was married and divorced four separate times. He was obviously real smooth with the ladies. (laughs) And he had two daughters. One of which became his accomplice, but I'm sure Brittany will get into that later. I will now tell you a few facts about David Parker Ray that were uncovered on FBI documents that Gavin found for us. Thank you, Gavin. You're welcome. I also have his social security number if anybody needs it. I also sourced that legally, FBI man. Also, how much Benadryl? <laughs> All right, so those facts, you guys, were uh, hilarious. If I must say, FBI, you're doing a bitching job. <laughs> First one, when Ray was working extremely hard as an apprentice welder, he was unable to work if he had sex more than twice a night. Wait, oh. what? That's what it said in the FBI documents. He was unable to work if he had sex more than twice a night. So he'd just call in if he got laid twice in one night? More than twice. More than twice. More than twice was his bar. Well, fuck. So would I. (laughs) And just so you guys know, Ray usually had sex twice a night on weekdays and three times a night on weekends. Okay, that's excessive. That's a lot of sex. I mean, this is really random. That's a lot of sex. Yeah. Thanks, FBI. Thank you, FBI man. (laughs) These facts are fucking funny. Next one. Ray did not fantasize about sex while he was married. Oh, okay. He did not have fantasies about women while he was married, says the FBI documents. Only when he was not married? (laughs) Apparently. So... What's the like? What's the uh, measure for that? I, I, have we, to, uh... I have to say that this was a uh, FBI interview with him, and so I think that this is just what they gathered from him. Got it. And that's why okay. it's so funny because this is what he was saying during his interview. So uh, Ray had problems with erectile insufficiency, as well as a problem with reaching orgasm, and so he would fantasize about everything imaginable, including nefarious and violent acts in order to ejaculate. If that's not weird, I don't know what is. I mean, mm, okay, keep going. <laughs> this fantasy or this fantasizing included drawing and writing these thoughts and scenarios out as well to use for masturbation. Ray is also unable to understand why this is quote unquote, you guys. I'm not like these aren't my words. 
Ray is unable to understand why he can honestly have no desire to kill a litter of puppies because he knows that it's wrong. But on the other hand, he cannot possess that same moral and remorse for other violent thoughts. Do it, is there a backstory with the puppies? I mean, I'm sure we'll get into the puppies later, but... Brittany, do you go into detail with the puppies? I leave dogs out of this one. I what? like your style. <laughs> Let's just but, say there are details that have to do with the dogs during his uh, reign of terror, but Mama's leaving that one out. Yeah, that's a pretty bad one. Okay. <laughs> Bestiality. <clears throat> oh, no, no, no. <laughs> the dogs live. The dogs live. But did the dogs want to live? <laughs> I don't know. This is what he said was that he can obviously say that killing a litter of puppies was wrong, but his desires and urges that he felt, he didn't understand why those weren't wrong. And you guys will hear those desires and urges coming up shortly. And the last one that I have is on one occasion, Ray tied up a sex worker for approximately one to two hours and was unable to achieve an erection. Robert Yates, is that you? I was just going to say, this sounds very familiar. <laughs> Robert Yates, is that you? <laughs> um, so he then released the woman and apologized. That's all I got for the background and the FBI interview facts. So now we're jumping into the real nitty gritty, dirty, nasty, horrible, horrific, gross. My theosaurus has ran out here, but Brittany's mm-hmm. got it. Lay it on me thick, Brittany. Alrighty, guys. <sighs> Ray's crime spree is believed to have started in the mid-1950s and didn't come to an end until 1999. There is a lot about this monster's 40-something year-long reign of terror that is unknown to this day. But what we do know is that David Parker Ray has gone down as quite possibly the most sick and twisted person in New Mexico history. And it could have continued if it weren't for the courage and strength of Ray's final victim. On March 19, 1999, 22-year-old sex worker Cynthia Vigil Jaramillo was on the streets of Albuquerque, New Mexico, when an acquaintance of hers, DJ, told her that there was a man in an RV requesting her personally for a date. As she approached the RV, she saw the man give DJ some money, and then DJ took off running, leaving Cynthia alone with this strange man. Once inside the RV... Cynthia bent down to put her money away inside of her shoe, and as she stood up, she felt handcuffs being slapped around one of her wrists, and the man flashed a badge that she didn't recognize. Although he tried to say that he was an undercover officer, Cynthia knew something wasn't right, and she bolted towards the door of the RV. She was inches from getting out when the man called out, Cindy. This made Cynthia pause for a moment, since she had told her that her name was Crystal. In that split second of time, a woman walked out from behind a curtain and Cynthia's moment to escape had passed. The woman zapped her in the neck with a cattle prod and she fell to the ground. After handcuffing her to a cabinet, the man and woman got into the front seat of the RV and began to drive. They stopped several times while driving and at one point stripped her down, shackled her legs, duct taped her entire head and tried to force her to drink from a pint of hot dam. Which of, she of kept hot damn. Oh, what is cinnamon that? schnapps? Oh, you've never had hot damn. Isn't that like a rite of passage into drinking? I thought so. 
I did peppermint schnapps was the first schnapps that I'd ever drank when I was underage was peppermint schnapps, not hot damn. Is that like a knockoff fireball? It's it was way, it, it before, came fireball. way before fireball. Oh, <laughs> oh you little you little BB little I'm baby 25. I'm 800 years old. Apparently she kept spitting the hot damn back out at him, which I would have done as well. Good for her. Same girl. <laughs> After they removed the duct tape from her head, Cynthia pled with the woman to let her go. The woman promised her that they were just going to rape her down the road and then let her go. Oh, oh, great. That's yeah, yeah. it's chill. Mm. No big deal. After what felt like forever, they finally stopped driving and had arrived at 513 Bass Road in Elephant Butte, New Mexico. They took Cynthia out of the RV and walked her naked and shackled into their trailer home. It was broad daylight and somehow nobody saw them. As soon as they got into the home, they brought her into a room, sat her down on a bed and put a metal collar around her neck. The metal collar was chained to the wall. The Mm. room was full of tools and devices to fulfill their sick and demented fantasies. And her three days of sexual torture began. After three days of endless rape and torture, Cynthia was left alone at the home with Cindy while David went to work. Before leaving, he sat on the bed and told Cynthia that she had been a good girl and removed the shackles from her wrists and ankles, leaving her able to sit up and move around slightly since she was now only bound by the collar and chain around her neck. Gross. Shortly after David left, Cindy received a phone call and she walked out of the room. Cynthia immediately noticed a set of keys on an end table near the bed and knew that she needed to try to escape. She struggled to pull the table towards her and grabbed the keys. Curled up in a ball, she began to try the keys on the chain. Cindy returned to the room and saw what Cynthia was doing and began to attack her with a lamp and an ice pick that she randomly had. An ice pick? Yeah, I listened to an interview with Cynthia and she's like, I don't know where she got an ice pick from, but she came in holding an ice pick. Well, I mean, I have an idea, but (laughs) that's random as fuck. So every time she was hit on the head, Cynthia could feel herself wanting to black out. She said that like her body and her head wanted to just give up, but she just kept fighting it and just telling her that she needed to not black out. The third key worked and she said that there were a ton of keys on this key ring, but the third key worked. Damn. As she ran out the door, she noticed the phone and the ice pick on the floor. She picked the phone up and dialed 911, then dropped it as she stabbed Cindy in the forehead with the ice pick. Oh, shit. Oh, Karma. Apparently, when she did it, uh, the ice pick kind of went in at, to the side, not directly into her head. Um, so Cindy didn't, you know, kill her. As Cindy reacted to the stab, Cynthia ran out of the front door. She ran down the dirt road, naked, covered in blood, with only the metal collar around her neck. She was disoriented from the blows to her head and the numerous amounts of drugs and sedatives that she had been given to keep her forgetful and compliant. She burst into a trailer, taking a leap of faith that whoever was in there was safer than what she had left, and begged the elderly couple inside to call 911. With Elephant Butte being such a small town, it was obvious that this call was tied to the hang-up call they had just received shortly before that. The couple assured her that she was safe as they waited for the police to arrive. 
About a block away from the trailer where she was, David Parker Ray and Cindy Hendy were arrested as they searched for Cynthia. They tried to tell the police that they had abducted her to help her detox, but oh. the police did not believe them. Oh, oh my shit. God. Thank God. After the arrest, the police went to search the trailer home that Cynthia had escaped from. Parked behind the home, there was a 22-foot-long white cargo trailer that was padlocked. With no key in sight, they fought to get it open and eventually had a locksmith come in. Once they got it open, they discovered Ray's pride and joy, his escape-proof, soundproof toy box. He had invested about $100,000 into creating the perfect setting for him to fulfill his sick and horrific fantasies. The ceiling and walls were covered with various tools, contraptions, and devices used to torture his victims, many of them handmade by David. An elaborate system of pulleys, gurneys, weights, pliers, clamps, whips, scalpels, chains, and padlocks. Dildos of every shape and size hung from the ceiling and walls, spreader bars, medical cabinets full of syringes and chemicals, a fur-lined coffin, anatomically correct dolls adorned with chains and torture devices, medical-style anatomy charts, and hand-drawn diagrams and satanic images. There were mirrors on the ceiling and several video cameras set up around the room with monitors positioned so that the victims were forced to watch the heinous things being done to them. What the fuck? (sighs) I did not know that fact. Can I interject here? Mm -hmm. In those FBI documents that I found... He had said in his interview that he was a BDSM toy creator and he used it as a business. And so he said that he handcrafted dildos, electric dildos, racks for sex toys, anything and everything. He said that this was his business and that he paid like is how he got money. He was like, if I fantasize about the things, I should make money on them. And so this is what he told FBI. I do this for a living. This is what happened. They could find no record of him actually owning a legit business for him doing all of these things and handcrafting dildos and whatever else. And he said that a house fire had taken all of his toys he had made, his workshop and everything. And it also burned up any type of evidence of mail order, custom order dildos, everything got destroyed in the in the fire, quote unquote. And that's what he said to the FBI of why he had this thing going on. One of the toys, or I can't, I don't even want to call it a toy, to be honest with you, because it's not a toy. It's a torture device. I know I had trouble with that sometimes. That he used was essentially a crude piece of plastic in the shape of a vibrator. And it wasn't even like a penis shaped Mm -hmm. object it was like it was bigger yeah right like Like huge way bigger and then at the bottom of it had nails fastened to it Mm -mm. are you going to talk about that at all Brittany? no i don't get into detail about any of the toys um real quick there was i mean there is so much about this case and even just reading about it this week aka a couple hours ago um there's even more fucked up things that I did not know about this. So I personally want to do more on this. And so I thought I could record a little uh, standout Patreon episode at some point, just going even deeper into this episode or into this case. Excuse me, Patreon. (laughs) Excuse me. Anyways, 
In the middle of the room was a medical grade gynecological chair. Big word. Modified by hand to have restraints in several places to position and restrain his victims as needed and wired to a generator to distribute electric shocks. Eventually, they would find over 100 tapes he had kept of the tortures, rapes and sometimes killings of his victims. A personal journal was found in which David meticulously detailed each of his victims time in the toy box and what was done to them, how many times they were raped what was used. However, there were never any names used, only dates. They also recovered a tape that had the 45-minute monologue he played for each of his victims, detailing what they were there for and what was going to be done with them. This tape in monologue is fucked up. And one of the reasons that I am so weirdly fascinated with this case is just how much of a fucked up detail that is to play this literal audio recording. He is very detailed in this. You can find the transcript of this and it's uh, very long, but I'm going to just kind of read a little bit uh, from the beginning. Hello there, bitch. Are you comfortable right now? I doubt it. Wrists and ankles chained, gagged, probably blindfolded. You are disoriented and scared too, I would imagine. Perfectly normal under the circumstances. For a little while, at least, you need to get your shit together and listen to this tape. It is very relevant to your situation. I'm going to tell you in detail why you have been kidnapped, what's going to happen to you, and how long you'll be here. I don't know the details of your capture because this tape is being created July 23rd, 1993 as a general advisory tape for future female captives. The information I'm going to give you is based on my experience dealing with captives over a period of several years. If at a future date there are any major changes in our procedures, the tape will be upgraded. Now, you are obviously here against your will, totally helpless, don't know where you're at, don't know what's going to happen to you. You're very scared or very pissed off. I'm sure that you've already tried to get your wrists and ankles loose and no, you can't. Now you're just waiting to see what's going to happen next. You probably think you're going to be raped and you're fucking sure right about that. Our primary interest is in what you've got between your legs. You'll be raped thoroughly and repeatedly in every hole you've got. Because basically you've been snatched and brought here for us to train and use as a sex slave. Um, oh my fucking god Um, that's a 45 minute long it is yes it's and so um, that was literally like the first what 45 seconds it is really really like i can't Uh, explain how fucked up uh that's insane like that's some like saw type shit like you want to play a game bitch exactly Guess what? You don't have a choice. You're playing the fucking game. That's disgusting. Ew. So in the tape, I mean, he details everything, what they're going to be doing, who they're going to be doing it with. It details that they're going to be used by him, by Cindy, by friends that he might have over, by... The dogs. Mm, 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 mm. Dogs. Um, 
I no. would advise to skip that section of it because it goes into a lot of detail. Fucking for real. Um, it's yeah, it's really awful. <laughs> really fucking awful. Well, we don't skim the top and we don't spare um, the details. Well, yeah, but I'm sparing that one. Yeah, spare um, the doggies. Yeah. It's horrible. Fuck humans. Save it the puppies. Talks about how they are to refer to David and Cindy as master and mistress about how they are not going to give a shit how much they beg and plead what a sick fuck i can't imagine what being in that situation fuck like, i would just want to die the, yeah this what would what the fuck would be going through your brain like as you're like fucking shackled there listening to a tape like fucking what's that f- saw the yep. movie saw and those movies give me the fucking willies exactly that's what i said that's what i said i was like it's like saw but it's like you want to play a game they don't have a choice yeah that's like literally being told what you're about to go through you can't prepare yourself for that and i have so much remorse for these women that were even put into this position because that's that's fucking terrible i see i scroll down the transcript another little chunk of it now, I can't foresee what kind of bitch you're going to be, how you feel about oral sex of any of or any of that shit. But I am going to tell you this. If during oral sex or any other time you should bite one of us, <gasps> I'm going to cut on you a little bit. I'll cut your nipple off for a starter. And if it's a bad bite, I'll cut your tit off, too. That may sound harsh, but your teeth are serious weapons and we're not going to tolerate any shit from you. I have been bitten and I've cut off nipples, so don't fuck around. That's enough said about that. Oh, oh my just God. Bit his fucking dick off. That's what I first said. I was like, you're going to try to stick that shit in my mouth. I'm going to bite it fucking off. Fuck you. And then he goes forward to say that. That's bad. Oppositional defiance disorder. You tell me not to. <sighs> I'm going to do it. I'm going to bite your fucking dick off. And here I am talking about biting dicks off on the podcast. Uh, we never thought we'd be here a year or four months ago. No, I didn't. <laughs> here we are. Keep traumatizing be- me, please. God, seriously. This is be nice. Up. Keep your mouth shut. Learn the rules and survive. We are in S&M and you're going to be hurt a little, but everything we do to a girl is designed to cause pain, not injury. There is a big difference. No matter how painful it is, nothing that we plan to do to your body will cause any serious or permanent damage. I'm not lying to you or trying to make it sound easier because that would be pointless. This is not what BDSM is or what S&M is at all because consent, consent, consent. This is torture. This went way past that line a long time ago. Okay, sorry. Occasionally, I like to hear a bitch scream, but usually not. The only thing that screaming is going to get you around here is a lot of punishment. And if you do it habitually, I will just keep a ball gag in your mouth all the time. It'll only be taken out for you to eat and suck. I've already told you about talking. Don't try to initiate a conversation. Don't say anything. You will be punished. If you're a smoker, now's a good time to quit. I'm not going to buy your cigarettes. And if you ask for one, the only thing you're going to get is a few whip marks. Remember when you're asked a question, you say yes, master or no master. If you have to go to the restroom, it is master or mistress. May I please go to the bathroom? Anytime that you are given a command, always acknowledge the order verbally. Yes, master. And then obey the order. 
Brittany, what? What? Mm-hmm. This is methodical. I I am so fucking disgusted. If people could see my face right now, my mouth is like literally like I'm awestruck at this fucking tape right now. I can't believe it. He ends it by saying, basically, I just want to become very familiar with your sex organs and the size of the holes. All girls are different. During the course of the day, you're going to be raped several times, but that's no big deal. The second day, after you get totally familiar with the rules and procedures, we're going to get down to the nitty gritty. A lot of it will not be very pleasant for you, but you might as well get used to it because it's going to be like that for a while. Eventually, things will settle down a little. Then just take it day by day. Well, I believe I've told you about everything that I can. I cannot predict the future. I can't predict changes of procedure, but if this tape is being played for you, I have to assume that it is still reasonably accurate and I can only give you advice. Be smart and be a survivor. Don't ever scream. Don't talk without permission. Be very quiet. Be docile and obedient and by all means, show proper respect. Have a nice day. Have a nice what? The fuck? What? I have to be honest, I have not been as bothered about a case we have done so far since Torture Terrors. I was just going to say that, since Torture Fucking Terrors. I, I tried my absolute best to not dive too deep into the actual, like, what had actually happened, because I, I wanted to be kind of shocked. And this is worse than uh, sh- shocked. At least it was my voice and not his nasty ass voice. Brittany. Keep going. Let's fucking hear it. So he had a routine, one that he stuck to. He would find his victims either walking on the side of the road or in a nearby bar. They were usually young sex workers, women who wouldn't be missed. And I say that as that was his uh, thinking. I was just going to say they're always missed. (laughs) But the way he saw it, they were women who wouldn't be missed. He would abduct them by getting them into his RV, drive them home and bring them into his trailer home where they would get chained naked to a bed and raped and tortured for a few days. After they were broken in, he would blindfold and escort them to the toy box. Once inside, they were strapped to the gynecological chair. The blindfold would be removed and they would get their first glimpse at the nightmare surrounding them. Wait, Mm. what? He built tolerances on these girls? So he, he brought them to a bed first before bringing them to the fucking torture chamber. Mm-hmm. Wh- what is that? Is are you kidding me? They all started in in the house. Yeah, and then after a few days, would get brought out to the toy box. So Cynthia never went to the toy box. It was con- like conditioning yeah. his victims. Wh- why? Well, who knows? I am gonna fucking throw up. I think it said in different places, sometimes the tape would play in the bedroom or sometimes the tape would play out in the toy box. But at some point in the beginning, the tape would begin playing, giving them a sort of introduction to the horror that they were about to endure. They would be kept and tortured for days, sometimes up to three months. They would be victim to him, quote unquote, playing with them. Using the different devices, locked in the fur-lined coffin. Oh, God. Playing playing is not the word. That's not not the word. I know, quote unquote, that's not the fucking word. That's like 
torturing these women. They would be raped by him, by Cindy. Sometimes if uh, he would have small parties and his friends would do it, they would sometimes bring them into the living room and strap them up on different devices just to help keep them spread. And sometimes that's uh, when that would be introduced um, as like a form of entertainment. Uh, we can't just, leave. We can't leave that out. We've, I, I mean, just, we've, 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 we've done it so we've far. We've hinted at what it is. I'm not going to talk about it. Um, oh, dogs. You, you can mention it. Uh, I just don't think we should go into detail about it. Like this motherfucker used dogs to rape these women. And that's all we're going to say. We don't want to go into detail about it, but we don't skim the top. We don't spare the details. He used dogs. This is horrible. This is that bad, you guys. So. So they would endure just these awful, unspeakable, uh, evil things until whenever he decided he was bored with them and then he would be ready to move on. Some of the victims were thoroughly cleaned up and cleaned out. Then fed a cocktail of drugs that was sure to make them completely forget about the entire ordeal, leaving them with days missing from their memory. No recollection of David, Cindy, the toy box or any of the torture endured. Some didn't make it out alive, though. While no bodies were ever recovered, which I think is another fascinating fact about this case, is that he was never... They could never charge him for murder because there were never any bodies. The only way. So while no bodies were ever recovered, Cindy would later admit that David would kill some of the victims, butcher them and dump them into a nearby lake. At one point, David had told her of a body that he had disposed of in the lake and that he had learned from that, that when you put a body into the lake, even if you weigh the body down, you have to eviscerate the body cavity so that the air does not bring the body back up to the surface. There are journal entries from the journal that they found. Some of the entries detailed that the person was then murdered. Some of the tapes that they found included murders. He would sell a lot of the torture films or sometimes the snuff films. Um, He would sell them to people. Throughout the investigation, two other accomplices came to light. Dennis Roy Yancey, who is a lot of times referred to just as Roy, and David's own daughter, Glenda Jesse Ray, who went by Jesse. Dennis became friends with Jesse. And while he was in general a clean cut and quiet guy, he had a dark side that Jesse helped him to explore. In July of 1997, a former girlfriend of his, Marie Parker, had become homeless. She dropped her kids off with a nearby friend and set up in a tent near Elephant Butte Lake. One day in need of drugs, she agreed to meet up with Roy and Jesse. Shortly after, she found herself in the backseat of David Parker Ray's truck, restrained by her ex Roy at knife point while Jesse drove. They took Marie to David's home where she was kept and tortured inside the toy box by David and Jesse for three days. There was a major police search for Marie during this time. So in order to assure that attention was never brought to them, David decided that Marie would not be able to leave alive. After the three days was done, David brought Roy into the toy box where his former partner was strapped to the gynecological table, defeated and helpless. David handed a rope to Roy and told him, you know what to do. David began filming as Roy approached Marie with the rope. 
Roy says that Jesse was holding a gun to him, forcing him to do this, and he strangled Marie to death. They wrapped her in a blanket and buried her, buried her in a ravine at Monticello Canyon near Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. Jesse was aware of her father's masochistic lifestyle and deviance from a young age. When she was 19, she reported her father to the authorities after witnessing a sex worker screaming for her life during a bondage torture session. David Parker Ray was brought in and spoke to the FBI, not hiding his fascination and need for his deviant lifestyle. However, with no crime to pin on him, he was let go. It's believed that after this experience with the FBI, Jesse embraced her father and his lifestyle, and the two became very, very close. It's even somewhat believed or rumored that one of Jesse's children was fathered by her father. Oh. Jesse helped her father to lure some of the victims to their fate inside of the toy box. Mm-hmm. One of those victims was Kelly Van Cleve. Kelly had spent time in Elephant Butte in 1996, but there was a small chunk of days that she had lost, after which she started to suffer from depression, anxiety, and nightmares. Years later, she was able to piece together what had happened to her. While authorities went through the hundreds of videos recovered from the toy box, they could not find anything used to identify the victims. Ray had been so precise in his documentation that no identifying features were ever visible on camera, except for one, a blurry tattoo on one of the victim's ankles. After enhancing the image of the tattoo the best that they could, they released the image to the public in hopes of identifying the victim. It was then that Kelly Van Cleve recognized the tattoo as her own tattoo on her ankle. No. Kelly then became one of the most important witnesses for David's eventual conviction. So the court proceedings in the case of David Parker Ray, his ex-girlfriend, Cynthia Hendy, also known as Cindy Hendy, David Ray's daughter, Glenda Jean Ray, also known as Jesse Ray, as well as his accomplice, Roy Yancey, were riddled with bumps and roadblocks. They were every little bit as bizarre, nuts, and complex as the crimes themselves. And it's fucking amazing that there is not as much documentation on them as you would think. David Parker Ray was written up on multiple charges of kidnapping, criminal sexual penetration, aggravated battery, criminal sexual contact, as well as multiple charges of conspiracy to commit a crime attached to every single individual charge so every time he was brought up on the charge for kidnapping there was also a charge of conspiracy to commit a crime attached to that every single time he was brought up on the criminal sexual penetration there was a charge attached to that conspiracy to commit a crime so every single crime that he committed was premeditated clearly he played tapes to his victims literally as he had them in his control Stating the things that he was going to do to them there. It does not get any more fucking premeditated than that. Also, two of the victims knew him and his family. Kelly, for one, was hanging out with his daughter at a fucking bar the night she was abducted, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. Also, one of the other suspected victims disappeared from that said bar. About a year before Kelly. Yep. And was last seen with, uh, take one big fucking guess, his fucking daughter. David Parker Ray's trial was separated into three individual trials. 
one for his crime against Cynthia Vigil Jaramillo, one for those against Angelica Montano, and one for those against Kelly Garrett. Cynthia Hendy, at the beginning of the investigations, while in jail, was at first cooperative with police and the prosecution, agreeing to testify against her boyfriend, David Parker Ray. But eventually, she turned on them and decided to plead her innocence. At this point, investigators had bagged and tagged over a thousand articles of evidence, including the videotapes, audio tapes, and the infamous journal, as well as the entirety of Ray's toy box. However, the judge did not allow for the toy box to be entered into evidence for the court proceedings. Why? (laughs) Why not? Which is just absolutely absurd. Who fucking knows? And also, I can't remember which one of the the trials for which one of the women. I want to say it was Kelly's. They didn't allow for the video or the audio tapes. It was one or, one or the other. Maybe it was both to be played for the fucking jurors. What? That makes no sense. I don't understand it either. How can you have such substantiary evidence that literally it's his voice? Like New Mexico, you need to get your shit together. It's interesting. I'm just reading. I, I really wish I could have got more from these. Or I wish I could have just got the court documents, period. I kind of I want to know more about all of the reasoning as to why some of this stuff was not used, because it's it's I mean, fucking prolific. I feel like maybe the audio, like his monologue thing could be like, well, he can say anything. He's saying it. He made that before the crimes were committed. So it's not a. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm just trying to think of what the yeah, what could rationalize them not entering that as that part makes sense. However, the video of him literally touching her. Yeah. And talking to her was not able to be used in court. It's ridiculous. No, we're getting into a real piss off here. (laughs) So (laughs) that's not even the worst of it. That's not even the worst of the piss off that we're getting into. You would think that with all of the evidence against him, that this would be a pretty cut and dry. Oh, open and close. Court case. No. However, Ray's defense attorney, Jeff Ryan, had quite a few fucking tricks up his sleeve. Jeff Ryan attempted to have Judge Neil Mertz removed from the case. Oh, I also forgot to add a little tidbit. The the first judge that was supposed <laughs> to reside over this case died. Oh, great. Right before everything was supposed to start happening. So that was yep. a thing. That was a thing. That was a thing. Jeff literally tried to have Judge Mertz removed from the case. However, the Supreme Court denied the motion and allowed Mertz to reside over the case of David Parker Ray and his daughter Glenda Jean's case. And while I was watching that documentary, uh, Jeff Ryan had the balls and the fucking audacity to make an appearance on that documentary. And literally, I could not fucking take him seriously. Everything he said, he creeped me the fuck out. Because literally at the end of this interview on this documentary, the people interviewing him for this documentary are making, or not really making statements, they're just asking him questions. And the way he is giving the answers tells you everything you need to know about what Mr. Jeff thinks about his client and his guilt. He literally says at one point, I guess it kind of looks that way now, doesn't it? Stop it. 
the Cynthia Vigil Jaramillo trial resulted in a mistrial. Two female jurors who were not in favor of the conviction said they did not believe the victim's story. What? Mm-hmm. These were girls disagreeing with this girl? Uh-huh. Prosecutors told the press after the mistrial, we knew that once the case was severed, so split, how they did the three different trials, we were going to have a difficult time. It's much easier to attack the credibility of one woman than it is to discredit three women oh who are all God. telling the same story. Oh my fucking God. No, fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. Yep. That's a fucking joke. But in light of that, David Parker Ray was retried and convicted on all 12 counts. The second trial for the crimes committed against Angelica Montano came up empty handed due to the fact that Angelica Montano passed away before the trial could take place. Hmm. So it got, it got dropped. Why? Because she was dead already? Yeah, that kind of happens a lot. In the third trial for Kelly Garrett ended with Ray agreeing to a plea bargain in which he was sentenced in 2001 to 224 years in prison for numerous offenses in the abduction and sexual torture of the three women. Lay it on him, Gavin. A large factor in Ray's willingness to plea out was that his daughter be released on probation. No. Did dun. she get released on probation? Dun, 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 We'll get there. <laughs> I'm so fucking mad. The girlfriend, Cynthia Hendy, or Cindy Hendy, received a sentence of 36 years for her role in the crimes. She was scheduled to receive parole in 2007 and was released July 15th, 2019. Cynthia Hendy only served half of her sentence and has never expressed any remorse for her crimes. Only self-pity for the situation that she found herself in blaming David for sucking her into his stupid bondage fantasies. Oh, wow. Poor you. Poor you, bitch. You're the victim here. I feel really fucking bad for you. Ray's daughter, Glenda Jean or Jessie Ray, whatever the fuck you want to call her, was also tried on charges of kidnapping and sentenced to two and a half years in prison, time served with additional five years of probation. She got sentenced to what? Two and a half years? And then a five-year slap on the wrist to live at home and be fine and fucking dandy? She was sentenced to two and a half years in prison, but she already served that awaiting the trial. You're joking. So time served. You're joking. So she was basically just let go with a slap on the fucking wrist. <laughs> yeah. Roy Nancy, who allegedly killed at least two people himself, accepted a plea deal. He was released in 2011 and is a free walking man to this day. What? And still lives <laughs> in Truth or Consequences Elephant Butte area. Move. On May 28th, <laughs> 2002. I'm fucking, I'm fucking, I'm drunk and mad. <laughs> Fuck that guy. On May 28th, 2002, Ray was transported to the Leah County Corrections Facility in Hobbs, New Mexico to be questioned by the state police for, you guessed it, the rest of the fucking crimes that he uh, probably 110% most definitely fucking committed. What was that? Up to 60 <clears throat> fucking women? Hold on. <laughs> As he entered his jail cell, he died of a heart attack at the age of 62. After serving how many years? <laughs> like. Two or three? This was 2002, so just a couple. Two or three. 
With David Parker Ray no longer alive and unfortunately unable to be reached via a Ouija board, the investigations <laughs> into the possible 30 to 40 missing persons that may be connected to Ray were put on the back burner. Remember the videotapes Brittany mentioned where Ray recorded a few of the women that he murdered? But yeah, mm-hmm, no body, no identification, no crime. And no punishment. Fuck you. However, in November of 2002, the toy box case was opened to the public with hopes that it would lead to more information. At this time, no bodies have ever been found. No concrete evidence has ever been linked to any of the suspected disappearances and murders that David Parker Ray is suspected of committing. They didn't search the lake? Oh, no, 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 my friend. They dug up his entire fucking property. The house where all this took place, they dug up the whole fucking place. Yeah, that's the property. They searched the lake. They searched the entire fucking lake. In the fucking video, or in the cassette, didn't he say that I'm going to dump your body in the fucking lake? Roy even took police to the place where they fought, or where he remembered. Marie being buried. Marie being buried to come to find out that the body was gone. Another little fact about Mr. Ray here. He knew that lake and the area very well, very, very, very well. At one point in time, if I remember correctly, he worked for the park services. Mm-hmm. So he knew that entire area very, very well. Also, if you remember, Marie happened before all of the cases that were tried happened. Right. The escapees and the survivors. And so because of that... It is very well likely that he ended up moving Marie's body. Perfect. Yep. Perfect. That's really nice. He literally knew full well that that lake is full of bottom feeding fish. Mm hmm. Oh, my God. Mm hmm. So, yeah. That is, that's all I got from the court proceedings. Court documents. And... One thing that the FBI did is um, they released images of different jewelry pieces, charms, things that they found in the toy box that they believe uh, David had kept as souvenirs. And so you can actually. Yeah, but you can actually find images of them and they released them of them. Yeah, they released them in hopes that people could identify, oh, that was a charm that my great aunt always wore That's and she a went missing heirloom. To, in hopes of identifying more of his victims. Cause yeah, at this point, I mean, there is so few that are, where did all these even women have go? a possible name? Why is there no ties to all of these women? Oh, the, the problem is, is there's plenty of ties, but like I said, there's no body. Nope. There's no evidence. There's no crime. And so there's no justice and yeah. no justice. Well, I'm sick to my stomach. Thanks, Brittany. Yeah, thank you, Brittany. Remember when you let me on your podcast? So, with all of that, David Parker Ray, you can go get fucked. (laughs) We thrive and survive on true crime, and sometimes these cases are just so much worse than anything you could ever imagine. Justice may not have been served, but at least fate laid the last brick on David Parker Ray's tomb. Hey, Britt, your favorite sucks. Literally. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, he really does suck a lot. And uh, just doing this research this week for this episode unveiled 
even so much more than I previously knew. So I'm excited to dive even deeper into this one and hopefully share it with everyone. Speaking of sharing that extra stuff, if you're itching for extra content, please hop on over to our Patreon and subscribe to get access to sidecar episodes like Pillow Talk, ridiculous photos from our recordings, and pretty soon, full video episodes from start to finish, all the shenanigans and all the bullshit. And our faces. And our our faces. faces. And our fucking faces. Guess what, guys? Nice to meet you. Coming soon. (laughs) (laughs) If you love what you hear, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. If there's one way you, as a listener, can check in and help us thrive and survive, it's by giving us a million stars and a raving review. Also, if you have a case that you're just dying to hear, check out our website at nightcaptruecrime.com and click the Annoy Us button. Poke, poke, prod, prod. Mm-hmm. Okie dokie. I'm over it and out. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Look what you did. If Gavin was sitting next to me, he would have been stopping my knee from fucking shaking like a fucking seizure. Okay. Am I allowed to come back next week? Yeah. I suppose. We love you, girl. <laughs> you know that. You guys, I'm Brittany Brown of Nightcrap Nightcap Podcast. Nightcrap. Nightcrap. Oh, shit. Oh, shit, homie. Nightcrap of true crime. That was a Night, true crime, nightcrap. not nightcrap. You just took in the dump. Nightcrap. I'm sorry. That's the worst insult I've ever heard, and it came from one of our hosts. <laughs> oh, you mean, you mean nightcrap? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Flush that one down, bitches. Nice. Ooh, I see yeah. what you did there. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> That's it, Brittany. You're fired. <laughs> bye. Okay, <laughs> bye. Oh. I, yeah. Perfect. That was perfect. <laughs>